Hey there, it's Adriana Cardona Magigab. Curiosity hit a longevity milestone in 2022. We turned 10 years old. That means 10 years of questions like this. The first controlled nuclear reaction took place under University of Chicago's Stagg Field. And I'm wondering if that site is still radioactive. What happened to the people that were displaced with the creation of the Eisenhower? My question is, what is the history of Dunning, the insane asylum, and the people who have died here, and the people who are buried and unknown? How did Chicago become such a destination for improv? So Dibs is being able to save a parking space that you have shoveled out. Where did that practice come from, and is it okay? I was thinking about this earlier. Why is gas prices higher in the city, but cheaper in the suburbs when there's more people in the city? It absolutely blew me away that there were anti-aircraft missiles uh, stationed in or near Winneka slash Chicago. And so it, it, it did get me curious as to what the story was behind that. I was curious to know how the 1919 race riot started in the city of Chicago. And in the spirit of our show and our inquisitive listeners, we decided to ask some questions ourselves, about ourselves, and about Curious City's humble beginnings. And so, as the show enters its preteen years, we did what many intrepid and curious young people do at this age. We went to our parent, or in this case, our founder, Jennifer Brandel, to find out where we came from, what they remember about our growing up, and what they envisioned for Curious City down the road. I fundamentally believe that journalism is absolutely needed to be strong and sustained in a functioning democracy, but that all institutions that support democracy need to be more <laughs> democratic themselves. They need to involve more representation mm. and voice and decision-making from the public and the people they're serving. Jen Brandel now runs an organization that takes this idea she created in Chicago, expands on it, and spreads it around the world. And she joined us to dig into our own origin story of what she first called a news experiment. That's just ahead. Stay with us. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience. I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. This week, we're digging into the history of this humble news experiment you know as Curiosity. And we're doing that with a sit-down conversation with the creator of the show, Jennifer Brandel. She's a co-founder and CEO of a company called Harken, which grew out of the Curiosity model and philosophy. But we'll get into that a little later. Jen says, the idea for something like Curiosity had been percolating for a long time. And it all started to come together during the time she spent working for the Baha'i faith. While she's not Baha'i, 
She was drawn to and inspired by something quite fundamental to the faith's approach to community service. One of the tenets of the Baha'i faith is that there's this humble posture of service. So rather than a religious group going into a community and saying, hey, we know what's best for you, we're going to teach you something, and then you'll have all the answers, they came in with this approach that said, you know your problems best, <laughs> you know what you need best, I have two hands, how can I be helpful? So they assumed that the people they were trying to help knew what they needed better than anyone else could. And I thought about what would it look like if journalism started from the same humble posture and asked, what is it that you don't understand, you know, that you're searching for or Googling for that you can't find out? And how can journalists be a resource to help you get that information so that you can make informed decisions in your life? And was there a, like a very specific moment where you're like, aha, it's going to be called <laughs> Curious City. <laughs> Please, I actually want to know. <laughs> I did have a shower moment, which is great. I think everyone should take walks and long showers whenever they're in a moment of creative need and brainstorming. But I did have a shower moment. There was this opportunity through a group called the Association of Independence and Radio to come up with a new idea that a public media station should try out. And I, I thought of a million different ideas, but really this one of starting with the public's curiosity rather than with the newsroom's news judgment was the core thing I wanted to do. And I was thinking about what are the different points that the public could get involved. So they could get involved at, you know, asking questions. They could get involved at the assignment phase by voting on questions. And then the best part and the most radical part still to this day is probably having the people who ask questions be involved in the story if they so choose. And when I was thinking, what is this really all based on? It's about curiosity. And I'm a word lover and a word pun lover as well. And so when I thought about curiosity, you know, you can see curious and city kind of in both of those words if you split it up. And then I thought, hey, if this is an idea that spreads, every newsroom could have a Curious City Chicago, Curious City Milwaukee, you know, Curious City wherever. So I thought it was a portable name as well. And importantly, the URL was available. So that's how it was named. Yes, and it's definitely short and punchy, like and just catchy. And so now remind us where were you and what was your role back when you first thought about asking listeners to submit questions? Yeah, so I was actually producing Morning Edition for a while at WBEZ and then doing some general assignment reporting. Enough with the second city. The Chicago Convention and Tourism Bureau wants everyone to know this town is, quote, second to none. With a city like this, you better bring your A game. And so when this grant got announced or this opportunity that I was part of that Curious City was chosen for, I was one of 10 projects from around the country that were being incubated at public media stations. And so this was in 2012 is when the project started. And we had a year to really play with and prove out that this model could be useful. And so thankfully, I had some really amazing support from my colleagues. And Sean Ali was our first editor and really kind of, you know, co-producer on all things. And Logan Jaffe was our first intern. And so in year one, we were really just excited to play. And so we thought 
instead of calling it, you know, a new series or whatnot, we called it a news experiment because we wanted to have the opportunity to really do things that we hadn't tried before and just have the liberty to say, is it a podcast? Sure. Is it an event? Sure. Is it a comic book? Yeah, why not? Is it a roll of toilet paper that has an answer printed on it? It could be that too. All those things happened, by the way. I'm kind of curious as to why. I was wondering. What is the strange trend of? I'm very curious. Curiosity. Why else would our abilities to appreciate be amongst us? Philosopher Thomas Hobbes once wrote, curiosity is the lust of the mind. And And so do you still remember what was your very first uh, Curious City story? It's the first ever Curious City podcast. Now, Curious City is a little journalistic experiment. How's yes. <laughs> uh, we actually had two kind of going at the, at the same time. We didn't know which one would come out first. One was answering what happens to the poop at the Lincoln Park Zoo from the animals. Well, this is kind of weird poop talk, but uh, depending on your circumstances, uh, consistency, color, the amount every day, these are indicators for us on the general welfare and the well-being of the animal. Which you might think is a silly question to start with, but, you know, when civilizations get it wrong as to where to put their waste, like, they don't continue. So it's an important question, and it came up with a fascinating answer in terms of what research comes out of studying animal feces and how they, you know, deal with it, etc. And we also, just in terms of the delight and experimental part of it, uh, came across this guy in the park who had, I think it was a banjo, and... He was just playing his banjo, and me and Logan went over to talk to him, and we were telling him what we were doing. And he came up with a song right on the spot called Camel Poo, and he's saying, what do you do with camel poo? What do you do? And that became part of the story. With camel poo, what do you do? With camel poo, what do you do? What do you do? That was one that was going, but then a deeper investigation we did that was one of the first was about these tunnels that were rumored to be under this old theater in St. Charles, Illinois, outside Chicago. It's a lot more of a labyrinth than I imagined it to be. I thought it was like one singular basement, but this is, these are caverns, you know? Yeah, it's like, it's like there, are, there are catacombs within catacombs. And we ended up going to this theater and Alex Keefe was the reporter on the story and the question asker came along with us to go under this old theater in St. Charles and see if there were underground tunnels that gangsters used. Oh, this is the creepiest place we've been in yet. I think a spider just touched me. And we actually went with the theater owner as well. And in the process, we found new tunnels <laughs> that the, How cool. the owner of the theater didn't even know about. We found these little rooms that had, you know, pencil markings on what looked like wine cases and a weird little area with a bench that was in this crazy little crawl space. <laughs> so it was an adventure that not only yielded, you know, a great story, but also new information that the owner didn't even know about. Oh, my God, that sounds so cool. Like, I would totally love to be involved in something like that. Yes, <laughs> Can you talk a little bit about what was going on in the media landscape back then that made you want to involve listeners in the editorial process? Yeah, I mean, back when we started this in 2012, you know, 10 years ago and a little change, 
the idea of engaging the audiences, quote unquote, like audience engagement was not really on the the minds and, and thoughts of most journalists. And I think in part because newsrooms have largely been based on the machine age model of journalism, which is, you know, you want to be optimized for speed, efficiency and distribution, which makes people not question whether they should bring the public into the mix because they'll think, hey, it'll slow us down. But I think in the information age, there's just <laughs> such a different game here to play where there's so much information out there that people aren't saying, hey, I don't have enough information. They're saying, I don't have the right information or I can't find exactly what I need. So I think news now should and needs to be optimized for listening, relevance, and trust with the public. And in order to do that, you actually have to be in relationship with the people that you're serving. And that means listening to them and co-creating with them and understanding what their needs are, rather than just trying to produce as much news as you possibly can as quickly as you can. And so that, over the last 10 years, has really shown that audience engagement is key. People are amazing. They're curious. They are humble. They are excited to get the opportunity to learn what goes into reporting and also to understand how difficult it is, that there's a lot of rigor, a lot of work and production involved in even a two or three minute story. And the other thing I love about this is that these questions actually lead to a quest, which is just an adventure. And it doesn't have to be about good guys versus bad guys or, or things necessarily being in conflict. It can be about unveiling and about an exploration. Is there a particular story during your time with Curiosity here in Chicago that made you feel that you fully accomplished what Curiosity was all about? And what was it about that story that made you feel that way? Mm. Well, man, there's so many. There's so many. But I, I love stories that wouldn't have been assigned through another process. <laughs> so stories that would be hard, you know, to necessarily convince an editor that people need to know and need to know now. And one story that sticks with me that actually was after I left WBEZ and started to hearken to help more newsrooms do this process was one question that came in from a woman who wanted to know why there aren't statues dedicated to historically important uh, women who lived in Chicago. I remember that. Yeah, yeah. The, and I think the, the story is called She Should Be Here. I just still can't stop thinking about what if we had these images, these this representation throughout the city. We have currently dogs on Michigan Avenue. We have had cows. I think we had Marilyn Monroe, and you could look up her skirt. Like All of those things are ways people remember our city. Why not remember it through, through these amazing Chicagoans? And what was so cool about it is that she thought to ask the question because a friend of hers had actually asked a question that had been answered by WBEZ. So she knew that WBEZ was listening and that they might answer her question. And so she started to think about WBEZ as a resource for her, not just to be a consumer of, but to be a participant in. And so she asked this great question. And through the process of asking it, WBEZ and the reporters that were at Curious City at the time asked you know, listeners and, and many people around Chicago who should be recognized if we were to build statues, if we had all the money and all the power to approve, who should we build statues to? And they built this story. And I learned about so many Chicago women I'd never heard of before. You know, like I knew of Ida B. Wells and, you know, some of these incredible women, but I didn't know of so many others that became uncovered through this process. And so from that story, she and a bunch of other folks got together. And I think <laughs> the last time I talked to her, which was a few years ago, 
were raising money to get more statues made of women in Chicago who were important. And it inspired a couple other things like the wing, this women's co-working space in Chicago commissioned for actors to go out and play living statues of four of the women who were featured in the story. An organization called The Wing was inspired by Curious City's reporting. And today they're putting on a living statues event in Chicago. And they like painted them all in white as though they were statues. Four women from history will come to life at various places in the city and they'll take questions from passerbys. And they went around town and all these cool things happened out of the story that you could have never predicted. And I love it when Curious City stories take on a life of their own and start to just kind of gather more power in the community. Now, were there any cringe-worthy stories where you were like, ah, we could have done that better? (laughs) Oh, yeah, of course, of course. Oh, one that came to mind was one about the Chicago accent. Gentlemen, how was your week? Uh, Real good. Real good. Good. Any heart attacks? I had one. Had a couple. So someone asked about the origin of the Chicago accent. We worked with a linguist to create basically like a, a short paragraph that tested for how much of the Chicago accent people had. And we asked people to call in and leave a voicemail reading this passage. <laughs> Too hot for hockey. Don and Patty took We had hundreds of people call in to leave their voicemails. They snacked on snack on, snacked on nachos, nachos, hot, hot dogs, dog. sausage, 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 and, sausage, and pop, 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 and pop. So the friends headed to a, a bar to watch the Fox game. Now say, I'm Luke. I'm Luke. And we actually learned the person who had the deepest Chicago accent. I'm in the southwest suburbs. Was the FedEx delivery driver, Tom Pekorski. Uh, Homer Glenn, outside of Orland Park. Who came to WBEZ. We tested him out, and he hit all the markers. I mean, even when you approached me to say about, you know, I have a Chicago accent, it's like, I do. But something that we hadn't thought about at that time, and we got feedback on after the story aired, was that it didn't account for the Chicago black scent. I'm an African-American woman who was born and raised on Chicago's South Side. Let me be the first to tell you that African-American English has a variety of accents. I'm basically just tired of articles and studies suggesting that African-Americans are just comprised of a homogenous group. There is actually a lot of diversity among African-Americans from religion to food, even accents. So how do Black Chicagoans speak differently and how what are the dialects and, and how are those different? And that was something that didn't come across our radar during the reporting because the accent was a lot based on, you know, white European immigrants who came to Chicago. We neglected to look to the community and how the accent was different in different communities. And so we ended up following up with a couple of stories about the Chicago Black accent. And I was so grateful that listeners took the time and care to say, hey, you missed a spot and that our editors and reporters we're like, yeah, we did miss a spot. Let's let's do this better and let's do this more completely. Hi, everyone. I'm going to do my first YouTube video on the tag thing that's been going around. I guess how people say certain words. I'm going to do mine in my south side of Chicago, black sense, as I like to call it. Tootsie roll, comfortable, orange. So was this a reminder of like, yeah, we need to be more careful about being inclusive Or was this a moment where you actually learned something new? Yeah, I mean, I think we learned something new. And it also reminded us to always leave the door open to comments and feedback. Because, I mean, one of the great things about the process of involving the public in the the process of storytelling is that you can learn things oftentimes 
before it's too late. So before you've published and you've said, all right, I'm done with that story, we always need to be listening. We always need to be telling people what we're up to and allowing them to tell us where we, we screwed up or where we could do better or where we should look next. And so that's been a lesson, I think, throughout news in America is how do you better listen to people who have been underserved, misserved, misrepresented, you know, harmed by journalism. And I think that there's a lot of work to be done still on that front. Like Jen said, the listener is the lifeblood of this news experiment of ours. All the way back to our very first question askers. By the way, the original Curiosity listener, Kelly Klink, the one who asked about the poop at Lincoln Park Zoo, we caught up with her for our 10th anniversary to find out what she remembers about tracking down the answer to her pressing question. Oh, and to celebrate 10 years of Curious City. I felt really, like, special and famous. I was like, ooh, I'm on the radio. <laughs> Everybody listen to my question about poop. And then I did, um, was it five years later, there was, like, a live show, and they brought me back to sit on stage and talk about poop. And there was even, like, they had, like, a whole exhibit from the zoo with, like, all this, di like, different kinds of, like, models of animal poop. It was very exciting. Just ahead, Jen Brandel breaks away from her creation to bring this idea of the curious citizen getting a say to a much broader audience. Stick around. Do you need a break from the news? Well, my friend, Nerdette Podcast is here for you. Our show is all about delight. We laugh about what's happening in pop culture and feature thoughtful interviews with fascinating people. We even have a monthly book club that you can participate in. I could just go on and on about it. I loved this book. It was an experience, I'll tell you that. <laughs> I discovered authors I had never heard of, and I'm really happy that I did. Come hang out with us. Listen to Nerdette wherever you get your podcasts. After three years of leading and nurturing this news experiment, Jennifer Brandel made a big jump. She left this magnificent shower moment idea to empower the community, to focus on broadening its scope. If it worked in Chicago, how about the country or even the world? And so she set out for its next, even more ambitious incarnation and called it Harken, which means... To listen. So in 2015, I had the opportunity to really test if this model could work elsewhere. And what was cool is that I had been testing it a little bit along the way and that other newsrooms had heard about Curious City and were asking me, hey, how do we do this? You know, what's the secret sauce? And I was kind of working with them on, you know, nights and weekends and lunch breaks to help them set up their own versions of Curious City. There was Am I Curious in Michigan. Am I Curious? Am I Curious? Am I Curious? There is Why So Curious, WYSO in Ohio. Today on Why So Curious, we answer a question from listener Holly Cozy of Springfield. And we were working with them and they were finding the same results, that they were getting these really original, interesting stories that were public powered and that uh, were really popular as well. And working in the powder mill was really hazardous. 
The employees were encouraged to work in their socked feet or in overshoes because exposed nails in the workers' boots could cause sparks, which would result in an explosion. And so I couldn't help, you know, but be curious as to whether or not we could figure out ways to help other newsrooms adopt this same approach and allow more people to be heard by newsrooms and served by them in this different way. And so in 2015, there was like a startup VC accelerator program out in San Francisco, just to make it as um, cliche as possible. And uh, (laughs) I got the opportunity to apply to be part of it and got in. And so I had the hard decision of keep going with my absolute dream job at WBEZ and getting to uh, produce and report on these stories or take a risk and see if I can turn this into a business and help more newsrooms do it. And so I'm someone who is sometimes (laughs) powered by wanting to take risks, not because I think I'll succeed, but that I know I'll regret if I don't give it a try. And so I ended up moving to San Francisco in 2015 and starting the company that's now called Harkin to help more newsrooms do this approach. Well, and that really brought the concept of audience engagement to news operations throughout the country and even the world. Yeah, that's right. We, we actually opened an office in Denmark in 2019. Uh, we call it Harkin Northern Europe, and it serves a lot of Scandinavia as well as, you know, other folks in Europe. We work with the BBC over there and a ton of different newsrooms who have really taken on this process and, and done beautifully with it. One of your early uh, missions, perhaps your first one, was to give a voice to the people, to the listeners. In what ways do you think you and Curiosity and all of the different versions of us or Curiosity across the country, in what ways do you think we can do a better job like reaching out to low-income communities, particularly immigrant communities and communities of color? Like, Mm -hmm. you know, thinking about like the missing black accents, you know, that story that you guys did back in the day. Yeah. In what ways do you think we can do a better job reaching out to those audiences? Oh, gosh, there's so many better ways that Zooms can do Uh, work in reaching out to people that they haven't necessarily served. And part of it has to be getting the buy-in from the leaders or the boards or whoever's in charge of news organizations to really take the time to build and develop those relationships around community listening, partnerships, engagement, and just overall showing up. And not showing up only when the bad things happen, but showing up all the time and understanding who is in the community, what are their problems, listening And that is an investment, and that is people putting in the time and effort, and there being some continuity as well. So people sticking around in that job and developing a a deep rapport and relationships as part of it. Okay, Jen, so 10 years in, what's the lasting impact you've seen so far in this now international effort to involve the public's direct input in the process? One thing that I find so exciting about the process of involving the public and having them participate is when things change in a community because of curiosity. So when you think about the ways that a lot of change happens, it's through political action to change something with the status quo. But another pressure that can be exerted is when new information comes to light that makes the status quo unacceptable. So this is all very abstract, but I'll give you a quick example. So one of our partners at WPLN, which is in Nashville, their public radio station, someone asked a question about a park 
there. It's a very innocuous seeming question, but he asked, what is the backstory of Fred Douglas Park? Who is Fred Douglas and who is it named after? From Nashville Public Radio, this is Curious Nashville, where we answer your questions about the city. So you might be thinking, oh, you mean Frederick Douglas? (laughs) Well, the park was actually named Fred and Douglas was spelled with one S, where Frederick Douglas, the famed abolitionist, was Frederick and had two S's on his last name. And there was this park in, in Nashville and someone wanted to know, like, was there a famous Fred Douglas and who was he and why do we have a park named after him? And the newsroom decided to actually look into this story. And it became a multi-part story of them looking into archives, when the park was named, city council, etc. And what turned out is that there was no Fred Douglas. It was actually supposed to be named after Frederick Douglas, but the Nashville community and the powers that be who were in charge at the time weren't ready to formally recognize him with a park because of racism, I'll say it plainly. And so they ended up truncating his name and taking off one S. And because the story coming to light at the time that it did and, you know, through the newsroom being involved in shining a light on this this problem, the Nashville community and council ended up renaming Fred Douglas Park to Frederick Douglas Park officially and actually had a commemoration ceremony with even like a Frederick Douglas impersonator. And so you see... I was ordained to work the fields of my father. But I would fight for a more perfect union. And dedicated it to the African-American community of Nashville as righting a wrong. And when you think about that and the other ways that someone could have gone about getting that park name changed, it would have been very difficult and very time intensive for them to petition and get people together and say, we should rename this park. And instead, it was through one person's question that led to a handful of stories that led to a lasting, tangible change in the community. And that's something that gets me really excited. Jen, thank you so much. This has been very inspiring, and I really thank you for your your time. (laughs) Oh, I'm so grateful, and I'm so grateful that you're on this team, Adriana. I love your reporting. Oh, thank you. Thank you. And you just gave me, like, a lot more to to think about. I'm so excited you guys are doing this. I'm so honored and grateful and and just really excited to um, continue to be the number one fangirl of Curious City. I ordered five mugs from the WBEZ gift shop for the holidays (laughs) for my family. Oh, Over the past decade, Curiosity has been made by the following people. First, the original crew of Jennifer Brandel, Logan Jaffe, Shauna Lee. And to replace that crew, you need a powered house. And we found one in our most recent senior editor, Alexandra Salomon, who only recently flew the Curiosity Coupe for her next great journalism adventure. We're so excited for her and the rest of our incredible former colleagues, Adam Pindall, Kate Cahan, Jesse Dukes, Jessica Popovic, Linnea Dominic, Mackenzie Crossan, Monica Eng, Robin Amer, Sarah Liu, Shannon Heffernan, and Steven Jackson. Curious City is currently produced by Jason Mark and Jody So. Mike Sivet and Katherine Nagasawa are our digital and engagement producers. JP Swenson is our Luminary Fellow. And Johanna Zorn edits this news experiment. 
guiding us as we enter the next decade of service to and collaboration with our listeners. Special thanks to our Managing Director, Kevin Dawson, and to countless and tireless contributors and interns over the years, too many to name here, but we dearly love you all and couldn't have lasted nearly this long or created this ambitious catalog of stories about the Chicago region without your help. This also doesn't get made without the support of our underwriters and sponsors or the generous ears and feedback from all of our colleagues here at Chicago Public Media. Everyone from the interns and fellows, membership and engagement teams, underwriting and grants, all the way up to the tippy-top of the hierarchy. They all help make this happen, and we thank you all. And most of all, thanks to you, the Curious City audience, the driver of this people-powered project. Thank you for 10 years of surprising, vital, fun, and essential questions. You're the best. Curious City is supported by the Conant Family Foundation. I'm Adriana Cardona Magigat. Thanks for listening. Before we start the show, we here at Curious City want to let you in on a little known fact about WBEZ. 89% of all our funding comes from community support, including contributions from curious listeners like you. If this program has changed how you see Chicago, please consider supporting this program at wbez.org curious. Thank you.